0: Like stars in his own sky Gotta keep his eyes on him Gotta keep himself alive Around here I know I've been following mine When I'm loathed by everyone Cause my hometown ain't where I'm really from I was born there and raised there And I stayed there for my whole youth With to my neighbors, I'm a stranger Trespassing, I seem uncouth, And I myself never feel quite right Around people I've known my whole life Cause my hometown ain't where Came out between her legs They just said, who the hell is that? And as a kid, I couldn't make no friends I wanted to be sent back And now I'm older And playing shows At all the old local wall holes And no one comes Cause my hometown Ain't where I'm really from My mind's eye, I see a place where I do belong. And the breeze, there drifts, and all the simple song. And a woman crying by a fire holds me close and says, Oh, my child. Mysteries. I seen that through the walls of time come long vines going toward the sun. My hometown ain't where I'm really
1: from.
2: are you from exactly i i met you in new york circa i wanna say 2010
1: oh i come from the stars i'm uh, i was born and raised in new york city
2: oh you were okay um i think uh, maybe i was thrown off by your song uh, my hometown ain't where i'm really from
1: yeah well i don't i don't feel that i'm totally from new york uh to be honest with you especially not nowadays. You know, a lot of people find that song to be kind of sad or or lonely, but to me, that song is sort of hopeful. To me, that song is about having a very deep sense of being from somewhere, but not being, you know, circum not being prescribed by your particular physical circumstances. Um, I've had a deep sense of, and also about having a sense of Destiny and purpose that doesn't seem to come obviously from anyone around you or from convenience or uh, the situation that you wound up
2: in. how do you think growing up in New York City influenced you as an artist with what you're exposed to living in in such a such a hotbed of creativity and and people coming from all over the world to be there to be musicians um did were there specific things about living there that you know uh shaped you as an artist?
1: Well, it's kind of hard to compare right because you only know what you know, but um I can say of New York that it's it's when you grow up in New York, you have a tremendous amount of freedom and autonomy at a young age and you can you know, regardless of what background or what your family life is like, you can go and find People to connect with. There's every single kind of person and every single kind of activity and anything you might be interested in and are wishing to explore, you can go and seek that out and find it. Um, and you know, that's a, that's an enormous privilege. Um, creatively speaking, I mean, people talk about it as a hotbed of creativity. I, I think of it, you know, it's it doesn't it doesn't feel that creative to me, uh, especially not anymore. You know, it's, it's it's kind of the world is your oyster. You can you can explore and learn about anything you want to, and 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 it being pedestrian is it is an enormous um, advantage too. I mean, just being able to say I want to go play on stage tonight, and to be able to walk over and do that is um that will of course shape an artist to have that kind of access to the stage i mean it's it's New York is kind of a place where you know your dreams are 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 totally up to you you have you have the means to go out and build whatever you want because there's the there's an audience there there's venues there there's anything you could want to study there any teacher you might want to find is there. So you have a tremendous amount of freedom and and with that responsibility. you know, There's no excuse in New York. It's all possible if you can just believe in yourself
2: enough. And how did you um, first start playing music? Was that something that got its hooks in you early?
1: Yeah, I was, when I was very, I have a very uh, kind of loud, powerful, soulful voice. And in my memory I had that the same voice that I have now when I was about 4 years old and I was very very shy I would like go off by myself and sing but I remember thinking like wow I have this I have like a little kid talking voice but I have this very adult uh singing voice from a very young age but I was really shy and um and I started playing piano when I was younger and then I started playing I had bands in high school and I was in, you know, choruses and things like that all through my childhood. And then I started playing out by myself when I was about 20.
2: Now, you said you started playing piano. Did you have lessons?
1: Mm hmm Yeah, I had lessons when I was a little
2: kid. Did you like them?
1: Um, I didn't. I've never been able to do anything on anyone else's timetable.
2: <laughs> well, I asked. I asked yeah. that because it's it's funny how I think it's like now we're up to like seven out of eight musicians uh, who have had piano lessons when they were young hated them.
1: Yeah, it's really important. Um, in retrospect, you know, I wish I had I had gone further with it. Um, but I've I've always been really self determined, and especially when it comes to music, which has always been so you know sort of dear and and tender to me. I could never let anyone else um you know tell me when to practice or how to practice or what to learn
2: Was music something that other people in your family had and that you picked up or are you an anomaly or
1: Uh it was not a huge part of my childhood. My sister is is musical and my dad um is lo- is a lover of music, but None of the music that I has defined my life, you know, the music that I dearly love was played in my house. I, from a young age, I was, I got really into um, old gospel and blues and soul. From about probably around age ten is when I discovered like Ella Fitzgerald and Howlin' Wolf and Billie Holiday and Muddy Waters, and um, that was not in my household, but as soon as I, as I heard some of this stuff, I was hooked forever and, um, kind of went backwards into Robert Johnson and blind Willie Johnson and Lightnin' Hopkins and all these old blues guys.
2: Um, how, how were you exposed to that? Was it just an accident or were you seeking out older stuff?
1: I think it was an accident. I think, I think it probably started with, uh, Lauren Hill, you know Lauren the Miss education of Lauren Hill was a huge record when I was in 4th or 5th grade. And I think I remember her mentioning Billy Holiday or somebody like that and from there you just kind of leap from one stone to the next and find your way backwards into this, this stuff. And even even classic rock was not played in my house. You know, I didn't didn't really get into like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones until relatively late, like maybe 16 or um around that age and um but I actually went <clears throat> kind of went chronologically through the 20th century starting with older blues guys and then forward into the 60s and 70s.
2: What was your first song that you wrote?
1: My first song that I wrote. Well, I wrote a lot of uh kind of moody uh pre-teen ballads when I was uh, in middle school, you know, kind of like angry-at-my-boyfriend kind of songs on, on piano. Um, the first, and then, yeah, all through high school, I wrote songs. I got, when I got into Bob Dylan, that was kind of it. Then I was a songwriter, you know, as soon as I heard Bob Dylan. Then I started going to Greenwich Village, and um, that that, I think I got much more serious as a songwriter as soon as I was exposed to that.
2: What was uh, the first uh, open mic you went to in New York? I think I first saw you at Penny. Like I said, Penny's open mic.
1: I think I started going to the sidewalk when I was still in high school because you're allowed to be under twenty one in there. Um, I used to go. I used to paint my face in kind of like uh, tribal, kind of terrifying face masks and get up and and sing at open mics at the sidewalk. Um, and then I started going to, yeah, later on, yeah, around 2010, I started going to panties and
2: I'm curious how the New York scene is doing in your eyes and, and how, how has it served you and how has it not served you being there?
1: Well, I, I actually just moved back to New York. I spent two years down South, um, partially in North Carolina and partially in Georgia. And I found that. <clears throat> Those music scenes were a lot friendlier to me than New York. I mean, the problem with New York is that there's just so many shows and so many artists, so you're sort of pulling teeth to get people to come see you sometimes. They're like, oh, another show. And uh, and then the, the 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 vibe of this city and the, the grind and the hamster wheel that everyone is on makes your audience kind of... Um, a little more blasé, a little more jaded. Whereas down south, there's this really jovial, kind of joyous feeling. Like, yeah, let's have barbecue and get rowdy and and scream at her while she's on stage. And it's just sort of looser. Um, <clears throat> but as I said before, like the nobody can deny the opportunity of New York. If you want to play a show, you go out and you book a show, and you can you can kind of make it happen. To make whatever happen happen um, and there's not I consider what I do outlaw country rock and roll with a uh, undercurrent of gospel and that's not exactly you know a dominant genre in New York City uh, it's definitely I was at South by Southwest recently that was my first time in Austin Texas and I could you know definitely see that I had a a a prefab niche you know like a scene that was already built there that does not exist in new york but yet here i am still in new york anyway it has a way of getting its claws in you and not letting you go
0: Say
2: So did you have um, any alternate plans for, you know, when you got out of high school or did you go right at like, no, it's going to be music for me?
1: No. Yeah, I was, I was doomed from the start to be a musician.
2: (laughs) When you went into it, did you ever define what your goals were or beyond, you know, I'm going to play, I'm going to record albums, um, or has it been just one one foot in front of the other?
1: All I've ever wanted, in the deepest depths of my heart, was to write and sing a beautiful song, just to write a song that was eternal and and had a sort of a lasting quality, and that moved people. And if 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 I could ever write, you know, one song or one record that was just stunningly beautiful that's all that I have ever really wanted um you know it'd be nice to make some money at it but (laughs) but barring that you know a beautiful masterpiece is, is really what I care about
2: has there been anything that's been to you overall that's frustrating about being a musician whether it's you know just dealing with the logistics or personalities or things like that
1: Sure, being a musician is incredibly difficult, Um, especially in New York City because it's very expensive to live in New York City. I mean, I've—it's—it's—you know, you're—you have to be. I think most musicians are, most good musicians are sensitive people, and you do have to keep yourself in this realm of emotional vulnerability. And of course, it's very vulnerable to be up on stage and in front of a room full of people. And at the same time, you have to be sort of co- sort of hardened enough and um, strong enough to weather the the storms of it. Um, you know, I mean, re- bands are expensive. Um, there's a lot of paying to play, so you have to get up and shell out money to play your own songs which is painful um you play bad rooms you know yeah ha- and but you have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and just do it until it takes flight um it can be very i've had you know of course there's days where you come home and it's three o'clock in the morning and you're destitute and you don't see that you're going anywhere and there's people who love your material, but it's not translating into anything and you're still having to work other jobs just to put the bills together, which, I mean, the main pain in my life has been having to put effort into money, which takes me away from the time that I would be putting into my songs. And um, so that's, that's painful, but I mean, it's, uh, it's just, just part of being the, a warrior. You know, you just have to, if this is what you're dedicated to, there's, there's no joy that exceeds writing a, a great song or playing a great show. It's all worth it at the end of the day for that. And I can rest very easily at the end of the day, knowing that I, you know, whatever I lack in material goods, I've never betrayed myself. I live my life on my own terms and I live for, for dreams and for art and for creating beautiful things in the world. And, um, you know, living that way gives you a a sense of, of peace.
2: Have you been hanging on to your independence, um, as an artist deliberately as far as have you been approached by, you know, labels or, or other industry people and looked at that and said like, no, I'm not interested in being a commodity in some way.
1: No. I've not I've not resisted it. Um nobody's ever really tried to make me a commodity, you know?
2: I've shared that one a million times. I feel like, and always dedicated it to Congress. But I'm I'm curious, where? uh, What's the story of that song?
1: To me, that song is about the this you know, love is this incredibly transcendent, sublime experience. And when you're in the throes of love, it's just so all-consuming and perfect. And then it's about the, the kind of descent of that you know platonic, you know huge experience of love into the reality of matter and this fleshly incarnation where you know your, your partner has a past and your partner has you a, and a you know a, a sexuality that's independent of you. And it's kind of like the seeing the cracks in the in the perfection. And how those those cracks in that perfection can be um so very painful, it's kind of like the being thrown out of eden feeling that's that's how I think of that song like you're you know you're in this in this beautiful sublime experience, but then but then no, you know this person had another partner before you or or this person still has attraction to other people or um and it's about the the discrepancy and the sort of, uh, yeah, the, the, the fall from grace in love, but you know, that but that song is kind of like there There is no perfect love, even though love feels perfect. And that's kind of, that, that's kind of what it is. It's like you, you're, you're in this, this totally transcendent experience. That's so powerful. And you just, you just think it's just a be all and end all. But then, but then there's, there's these, there's these little imperfections with it, and that's kind of what that song, that song is about. And it, it's kind of, I mean, of course, it's humorous and it's comical, but we all have the experience of, like, there's no, there's no rational justification for being jealous of your, your partner's ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend if they're in the past. And yet, all of us find ourselves with these really childish emotions in love. And that's—it's also what it's about—that childishness of this very adult experience of love, and how it can—it can just make you stupid. It can just make you, you know, fixate on these things that don't matter. That kind of stupidity of love.
2: I struggled with, you know, up until almost about the time I started playing music when I was 30 thinking that i had to check off that box i had to find someone and find a relationship or i wasn't whole
1: yeah it, it it kind of is also about that 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 feeling like someone else is going to complete you but the inevitable failure of that feeling because no one is going to you know it's like you have this idea that this person is is your other half but then your other half has all these things you don't like about it so and then you wind up feeling maybe even less complete than you did to begin with, and it is about that uh, that that back and forth. Where I mean, really, what you ultimately need is to have autonomy and love within yourself, and then and and then you have acceptance for all the flaws in your partner, all the things that you would you'd rather were not so.
2: The uh, the other song I wanted to ask you about is "They Are Afraid of Her." What is Where did that come from?
1: Uh, They're Afraid of Her is actually the name of Crazy Horse's daughter who died uh, as a young girl. I read that in, uh, I believe, Mary Sandoz's biography of Crazy Horse. And I was just, that's an example of what I was talking about before when a phrase, you just see a phrase and you're like, oh, it's a song. You don't know what it is, but it's just like it's just it's it's come into the room, you know, it's there. The song is there and and the song doesn't have anything to do with Crazy Horse or with his daughter. <clears throat> it's completely different. But um occasionally I'll just pick you know, you, you see a phrase and and you I, I just I just knew it was there and then um I think that's the first song that I wrote that I would say is like uh, that. That's really, you know, that that as an adult songwriter, that was like uh, the the first the first one that I still consider part of my corpus. So it was a very early song, and um, I don't know exactly where it came from. <laughs> it sort of came.
0: So the women might sleep alone again. I did it so the orphans would stop whining. I did it so the crops might grow again. I did it because it seemed like good timing. I did it even though everybody knows it's wrong. I did it and now my soul is stained. I did it alone, and I took on all the blame And the whole town thanked me when it was done They are afraid of her They are afraid of her They are afraid of her her. Even cowards are right I did it because it's too weird to have all these animals around I did it because I'm sick of seeing crosses I did it because I don't care if the end is near I did it because I miss drinking water I did it Because, what's one more? When you've already got bloody hands. I did it because there are certain laws in this world that most people do not understand. And they are afraid of her. They are afraid of her. They are afraid of her Even cowards are right sometimes I did it and now some are saying They were with me the hour it was done Some say they're witnesses But I did it I know how it was, thunder was my witness and the two hands on my arms and the planet's somersaulting by to the godforsaken dark, they are afraid of her. They are afraid of her They are afraid of her Even cowards are right sometimes I did it to save all the people Who have put me in their jail all the laws I've never followed And to spare all the people I hate I did it for the state and all its fine legislators I did it for my enemies and all the people who call me a traitor I didn't do it to help, I wasn't in a mood I did it in case I want to kill them all myself if you are the truth and on that dying day they'll look into my eyes and say that it was done by molly
3: yeah.
2: well, You I mean you're definitely one of the artists that I, I'll, I'll tell people about and I'm, I'm in many ways just shocked and I'm like how does it the world know about molly ruth you're, you're on a list of several so <laughs> well, I, I, that's why i'm doing the podcast i'm just trying to do my part with a lot of musicians thank
1: you <laughs> thank you some of it's my fault you know i mean i have a very active i'm also involved in a lot of uh, native american circles and things like that and i have been known to disappear into the to the hilltops to seek uh, spiritual enlightenment and in such things and it's it's or for activism for that matter. I spent uh, some time at Standing Rock and gave, have given some attention and focus to helping um, indigenous peoples. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's really just, it's hard to make a living this way and you, you get into a catch-22 if you don't have the capital to launch yourself and you can't make more capital. Um, but you know onward and upward just the reason for everything
2: uh i actually I, I remember seeing you posting a bit about standing rock um can you talk about that a bit just from having been there on the ground what were some of the things that you saw that you feel most people aren't aware of
1: wow well it really i feel like nobody's really aware of of anything that went on there um standing rock affected me in an extremely profound way Just to see the amount of cavalry that is brought out against American citizens in defense of this black sludge that grows under the ground. I mean, there were, I mean, when I say a legion, as far as the eye can see, there were these private security forces armed to the teeth with assault rifles and guns and batons and rubber bullets. We were tear gassed, we were maced, there were helicopters and planes flying above us dropping chemicals down upon us, there were dogs, there were water cannons, there were drones that were um, like erasing, if they went over you, they'd erase the contents of your cell phone. They were really seriously suppressing, um, you know, cell connections and things like that so that the story could not get out. Uh, There were infiltrators. Uh, It was just amazing to see with my very own two eyes that this army would be brought out against Native people and their allies uh, simply for protecting their water supply. Um, And that story, you know, it it was told a little bit, but it was very largely suppressed. I mean, when I got back, Uh, after the camp had fallen, it was, it was really a shock to see that, you know, we had all been living inside this war zone, this very epic war zone. And when I got back out to the other side, it was like, nobody knew that it was really happening. Um, which is not surprising given that it was, you know, it's native people and native issues of, been suppressed as long as we've been on this continent because you know the government doesn't want you to know how badly we're treating them
2: i mean that's and that i I was following that closely and, and yeah i read articles that talked about the the level of of the sophisticated means of controlling and and attacking protesters, yeah, with the drones and and manipulating phone data and things like that. That's all the the bitter and the ugly of Standing Rock. Was was there any beauty though that you saw there, um and in, in, in the connections and the people coming together like that? That was also you would highlight or, or that stands out for you?
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, it was it was magnificent. Um, it was a little. It was it was unlike anything I've ever seen, you know, when I went there I was only planning to be there about a week. And when I went there it was as though my feet were magnetized to the spot and I just said, I'm not I'm not going back. This is where I'm supposed to be. It was this little it was like a fairy village of these you know, a, a sea of teepees. Everybody living in, in these tepees and these tents. And it got very basic, you know, it was 20 or 30, 40 below zero with the wind chill 70 below zero. I still don't have feeling in some of my toes that got frostbitten. And we had to, it was everybody taking care of one another without any kind of, you know, compulsion or anybody telling you that you were supposed to. Making sure that elderly people had water, had firewood had food, everybody checking on one another. And there was an extremely prayerful, spiritual... Uh, what, what, what was different about that movement, to me, you know, that what distinguished it from other environmental uh, activist movements was the spiritual dimension of it and the sort of metaphysical perspective, which is water is life, water there's all beings on this planet are dependent on water. This water is this most ultimate important medicine. And this, this perspective had such beautiful strength, you know, to voice this perspective up against this monster on the hillside with these tanks, literal tanks and assault rifles and, you know and and we'd be up there on the front lines and the cops would be spraying us with tear gas and mace and we all had pneumonia but at the same time we're over there saying just come to our side you know you're welcome we're we're going to share our food with you you know because your kids need this water too and we don't hold it against you that you're you know that that you're so distorted and that you've that you've strayed so far from the essential values of life that you are, you know, defending this fascist regime, just come over and and be with us. Come to our side. You're welcome to, you know, come be in our camp, come be a part of our circle, come live in our, in our teepees with us, you know, and, and be our friends. And the, the, the bravery and the, the gentility inside that ferocious strength of native people was, so profound, and um you know i'll I'll never forget what it was like to live in a community like that where we prayed before every meal, you know gave thanks or and we and we and we gave the floor to to elders to teach us, you know and and it was elder women often who got to determine what happened, and it was this sort of natural deference to and respect, um, a tremendous respect throughout that entire camp. And it was, it was the most, you know, and, and then also just to see, you know, we were out there in, uh, 70 below zero weather with, with solar panels. And uh, just to see that there could be this autonomous off grid community like that, a fully functioning, uh, uh, like a city village, you know, where we're feeding. There's half a million people who came through there, and everybody got fed, and everybody got clothes, and everybody got shelter. And there were relatively few, you know, disagreements or arguments. And whenever there were, it was handled with diplomacy and, um, you know, sort of uh, just a natural order and to see that there could be a community that existed autonomously and in harmony with the earth and with the elements uh was it was incredible there's there's never been anything like it
2: it it's it has echoes to me of um occupy wall street though the difference being occupy had it had the the downside of not having any focus it was sort of like everything's fucked up versus, you know, we're here to stop this one thing. And that, I don't know if you were in, if you were in New York when that was going on. I I recognized like this was going to be historical and tried to be down there just to experience it firsthand and bypass whatever the media filter was as much as possible.
1: I was not terribly involved in Occupy. I went down there a few times, but I mean, I I wound up at Standing Rock in support of, the Lakota because of um, how uh, moved I have been in my life by their spirituality and their rituals and ceremonies. So I went out there. Um, I mean, I felt connected to them on a, a philosophical and spiritual level. And, you know, I just, even now, you know, I mean, <clears throat> there where, where our camp was, on on the uh, on the reservation side of the river was it was reservation land that is to say it's guaranteed by treaty and now if you go there, there's a sign that says u s property no trespassing which means that the American government is still taking land from Native American is still it's that land has now been conquered and their reservations are smaller. And I just, you know, I I don't know how many years have to go by and how much of this has to happen before, you know, we rise up as people and say we cannot treat these people this way anymore. Uh, but I went out to Standing Rock to say that, you know, hell or high water, you don't belong here. You know, we don't really belong anywhere on this continent. It's not right that, that Lakota or any indigenous nation is confined to any reservation when they were nomadic people living in perfect harmony and with respect to the earth. But especially given that, you know, it is what it is now, how, you know, we, can't, we cannot stand by and allow more native land to be stolen.
2: Has there been any positive like connection that you, you think at least came out of Standing Rock happening despite the fact that it was a failure a lot of people a- again sort of and anal- now in a- being analogous to Occupy the story of Occupy was just written like oh that came and went and it failed but the connections that were made through that not Just in New York, but across the country I think have fueled a lot of of activism and continue and and that planted a lot of seeds that were that i hope are going to continue in a positive direction do you see anything like that with standing rock that there's there's something good and bigger than that has come out of that that protest
1: yes absolutely i mean there's you know i I heard one of our elders say recently what people don't understand is about standing rock is that a whole bunch of strangers came from all over the world and became family, and uh, it's really true. I mean, there's there's connections that have been forged that have um, facilitated money going more into the reservations and taking care of firewood and water. But then there's also been, um, you know, I'm I'm I don't know to what extent this was happening before, but I've seen more and more movements like uh, workshops on reservations for how to build earth ships or for how to do uh, aquaponic farming, um, or, or solar, you know? So there's this, there's, um, there's more of that moving into the reservation and, and there, um, again, I don't, I'm not trying to be arrogant. Perhaps that was happening before, and maybe I'm just seeing it now, but, um, you know and there's just I, I think it's it's raised consciousness and awareness because there are people who were not necessarily involved in um Native American spirituality or Native American activism who are who are now aware of those issues and who are spreading it and um there's all kinds of family that has been made because of that and connections across the country I mean I run into people into water protectors in different places that I didn't meet at the camp but because we were both at the camp I just instantly feel like they're my my brothers and my sisters it just warms my heart to see them and I would do whatever is in my power to help them you know whoever they are and I, I know there's there's tons of people who feel that way because of how touched they were by what they experienced there.
2: Were you able to draw any inspiration out of that and channel it into a song?
1: Yeah, I wrote a song called My Blood Is Red that is a a direct outgrowth of my experience there.
3: I
0: stand alone before a tree My blood is red, my blood is red At the river I stand with my wild dog and he And my blood is red, our blood is red Dark veins wind around my tree root string in your web chords of life up to the sun i get it when i hit the chest the desert sand my blood is red Ahead of me My path loops around My blood is red My blood is red spiral
2: We had the heartbeat bill, and now with what's happening in Alabama and Georgia. um, I'm just interested in your take on that and and what you think the response should be or how you're personally responding to that.
1: Well, it's just amazing that people who have such incredible disrespect for, say, the the flourishing of the earth or for the well-being of all kinds of brown, black, and red people are so hellbent on protecting, you know, the life of an unborn fetus. I just think it's, and the idea that this is a religious conviction is absurd. Um, I don't know what to say about it other than that it's appalling and disgusting. Um, you know, I just, I, I don't, I don't see that we can take seriously anybody who thinks that an unborn fetus is, is so incredibly important but thinks nothing about filling the ocean with trash you know, the this earth is a living organism that you know upon whom we are all dependent you know we're all going to die out if we don't respect the life of the planet um i think that's a lot more important than carrying what you know some a woman chooses to do with the contents of her body Um, what my response to it is, I, I don't know. I'm not, I, I, I'm adamantly pro-choice, um, but I'm not personally, um, especially active in that activist movement, but they, they definitely have my support and my respect.
2: Those who are, do you find that music has had, um, an effect in sort of changing people or opening people up to thinking differently in any way or are you ever consciously thinking about that when you're writing songs about how it might land on someone and make them see another perspective
1: I find that the more you try to change someone's perspective consciously the less efficacious you'll be I I don't I don't concern myself with Changing other people. What I really concern myself with is capturing truth or capturing a certain feeling with um, in a, in in the most in the way that it can be most clearly understood, and in the way that I mean, there's a way you have to you have to say things in a way that, for one, it is easy on the ear to receive, and for another, that the the meaning is really maximally impactful. Um, It really has to kind of explode in someone's heart. Um, Now what they do with that explosion in their hearts is up to them. I can't control that, but I will to my dying breath, try to um, capture the spirit of justice or capture, you know, the, the true Raw human emotions to the best of my ability. I find that if you what you really have to do is touch people, um, you have to make somebody feel something, and then what happens after that doesn't have a whole lot to do with you. but if i can if I can touch people, that's 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 enough. To whatever extent that I had any kind of public platform, art and politics, I'm kind of iffy on mixing them. Uh, I would be, I'm, I'm much more interested in, in speaking about politics in a public way, you know, just in a conversation or a dialogue rather than trying to capture my politics in art. I find that, that, that very often becomes kind of obnoxious and it's sort of, there's a a beauty and an irrationality in art that I think needs to be protected. Um, but at the same time, I mean, of course, if you can capture something radical and and uh, revolutionary in a song, then that's a wonderful thing, too. You can be writing from a place, you know, that's that's very personal and that's very tied to a particular event in your life. But it, <laughs> really the art of it is capturing it so that many, 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 many people can find their own lives in your song and feel that it was written exactly for them. Um, that's really what I try to try to go for in a song. And when you can capture the emotionality of your own experience but still have it apply to, you know, so many different situations. And that that's when you really have a, a real song.
2: Do you ever are there any songs when that you give any sort of preface to or uh um talk about what the song how is or when you're you know you're <laughs> switching out guitars tuning things um you know sometimes that you know i like when i'm watching uh musicians and uh they'll they'll tell a bit of the story or they'll mention something about a song uh i like to go a little bit deeper and go behind the the stage banter or anything like that um do you ever open that up to the audience or or reveal that or do you kind of just stick to the music? I
1: don't. I mean, I I kind of struggle with my stage banter. I'm kind of a quiet person by nature. Or or rather, I'm I'm just terrible at small talk. I love long, deep conversations. But but now just sort of chattering, I'm just pathetic at it. I, I have I have no charisma for it. Um, but I often You know, people the people who love my music, um, and there are some people who are really quite affected by it, I kind of like to leave it open so that they can have their own experience of it. And I really love when, you know, like, uh, it it actually happened to me once at Penny's. Um, I sang I Fucked In For Firecrackers, which is a a very comedic song to Mm -hmm. me but somebody came up to me crying and grabbed my hand and said, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I just want to thank you for singing that song. And so, and it's really, it's really wonderful when someone will come up to you and, and that's kind of a sad example, honestly, but it's really wonderful when someone comes up to you and tells you what your song meant to them, or tells you how they interpreted your song. Um, in a way that you could never have conceived of, and I love leaving that open. I love leaving that you know free for people to to project or to to see what they want to see or hear what they want to hear. and and I think i can I can really say and express more with something vibrational, something in my in my presence, you know behind the song than I could ever capture with literal words. I'd much rather have the impact of what I deliver be emotional than it be, you know, something conceptual or or uh, cognitive.
0: Some are born to live life under water. Some are born to roam the wide desert. If you don't go around trying to silence songbirds, then don't tell me I'm wrong. beg forgiveness of my anger. You'll just know it's time. You'll know I'm
3: dying too.
1: That's a, um, that's a tricky one in these times. You know, I find that men like that song and women don't, which is not surprising. Um, but some women do. Some women really connect to it. Um, others don't. Uh, that comes from a, like a real vulnerable side of me. It's about as far as you can get from their afraid of her, as you can. But I think that in love, everyone has that feeling of sort of, being at the mercy of the other one, at at least at certain times, and that that feeling comes from. There's a lot of my songs that are about longing, and about that. It's it's not dissimilar from what we were talking about with million fucking whores. That sort of that feeling of of. Kind of the the polarity between being one and being two, you know, you're be you're when you're in love, you become as one, but then it's like, you want to be all the way one, but you're not, you're, you're still two and you're, you're still sort of, you're like on your knees at the mercy of, of your partner sometimes. And, um, feeling like, uh, you know, the second verse is like, uh, I'm I'm mad and I'm furious and I'm in pain and but at the drop of the hat I'm gonna fall into bed with you anyway and it's it, you know all of these feelings kind of coexist even though they're totally contradictory that 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 feeling that you know love doesn't make any sense and it doesn't it really doesn't have to.
2: What have you been finding is the best way for you to build your audience?
1: what I've found more and more is that the most productive way to broaden your reach is actually to make friends with bands that are at least, you know, kind of in your arena, arena, uh, in terms of genre, and then, you know, get on stage with them and, you know, get open for them or have them open for you. And, um, I think I isolated a lot early on just trying to get, uh, you know, go person by person, come to my show, come to my show, whereas you you need to create alliances. And especially nowadays, you know, what I'm finding with the music industry having changed so very much, um, it really is, it really, it's not so much about labels and it's not so much about managers or PR person. It's really about befriending bands who are on a, a circuit that you could, that you could circuit. And um, I think that's a a much faster track to finding an audience.
2: Have you been delving into what seems to be a really growing movement of uh, house concerts or becoming a really important part of, of grassroots musicians building up and, and finding a circuit of them?
1: I have not so much. Uh, I'm aware that those things are happening, but I have not myself gotten into it yet too much perhaps i should
2: yeah i the that was also something that came up in the last interview is um with robinson treacher he at first was thought that that was like ah that's that's for you know something else is you know because you know he was looking for just more traditional like venues to open for but then what he found is you play those and you can really make strong intimate connections with people and, yeah and, and form and, and create fans that that are a lot more invested in you
1: yeah people do like having the the personal connection to you I was just talking about this with my friend the other day how of all of all the different kinds of artists people tend to be really sort of sentimental about musicians and there's this almost this feeling that musicians belong to the audience. Like, it's amazing how recently, for some reason, many people have approached me and said, hey, I have this thing, and I need you to write a song out of it. Like, I have this poem, and, and you need to write a song about it. Not like, will you write a song for me, or, you know, would you consider putting this into a song, but you need to do this for me. And <laughs> there's this feeling that, that musicians just sort of like, I I, I don't, it's not, it's not obnoxious to me, it's kind of touching, it's like... uh They feel so connected with you, almost like a family member that they, you know, that they they just think, I I, I don't know, it's this this sort of uh, that you kind of, they can ask you that and that it's okay. It's it's kind of funny that way how people really want, there's something magical about a musician and people just like to be connected with it in whatever way it can be.
2: So what do you have on your horizon um, in the near future?
1: My next show is June 1st in Marlboro, New York. It's at the state of a place called The Falcon. I'll be opening for Chris Bergson, wonderful musician. And that'll be me and my, it'll be a intimate show. It'll just be me and my keyboard player. Keyboard slash flute slash saxophone player.
2: All right. Well, thanks Great. so much, and uh, I'll be in touch. I'll tag you on all the things when the episode goes out.
1: Right on. Thank you so much.
0: It's best to talk to, the animals sound like this. all with the lions with the cobra's ears. whisper with the horses, the horses and tortoises. Cook it up and down Saturn Mars, Venus all make a different sound Around a hill, mom drive across town.
2: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, like any struggling podcast, I can always use a little iTunes love with a five-star rating or swing by the Facebook page, throw a like my way, maybe a couple of comments. And if you really, really like the show, you can kick a couple of bucks my way at patreon.com slash BZDug. That's B-Z-D-U-G. Okay, that's it. End of podcast. Enjoy whatever it is you're about to do next. Thanks. Bye.